Welcome, campers. Normally, you'd be listening to Fireside Chats right now. However, this week we're going to do things a little bit differently. We haven't really had a chance to promote our Patreon as much as we would like to, or really focus on it as much as we would like to. And to kind of change things up, we want to let our listeners know of some of the things that are available to our patrons. So this week, we're giving you an insight, or a free episode that has previously been patrons only. This is a segment we call Lights Out. This is similar to Friday Night Frights, but entirely different at the same time. So we really hope you enjoy it. And we hope that this, uh, you know, gives you a little bit of what we have to offer on our Patreon. And again, we are going to be focusing on it very heavily, putting out a lot more content and being a lot more personal with our content, too. I think that'll help us connect with our listeners and a whole deeper level. So again, you can catch us on Patreon at patreon.com. Slash Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. It can be found in the show notes, our link tree, on all of our socials. Trust me, it, it, it's out there. So without further ado, please sit back and enjoy this previously Patreon-only episode of Lights Out. <laughs> Campfire presents Lights Out. Good evening, campers, and welcome to Lights Out. This is an auditory experience designed to test your limits, the boundaries of disquiet and tension. Be prepared to endure a sensation that may chill you to your core. Please, take the time to prepare yourself. Dim the lights. Relax. Perhaps with your favorite blanket. Relax. Clear your mind. Free yourself of any external factors that may prevent you from getting the full experience. Close your eyes. Relax. Focus on your breathing. Welcome to Lights Out. The Bad Flesh Ollie and Lyle consider their options. There are two. Option one, stay put at the gas station. Option two, leave the gas station. I think we should keep moving, Ollie says. They're going to find us here eventually. Lyle, who believes himself the smarter of the two, disagrees. What? Are you crazy? 
Don't you hear that? Those are gunshots. Screams. Sirens. No, sir. We boarded this place up real nice. And look at all these provisions. This place is a sanctuary, my friend. Lyle isn't necessarily smarter than Ollie, but he is a bigger coward. All right, Ollie says. But we need to have a plan in case we're found. We do have a plan, Lyle says. We've got these fire extinguishers as a distraction. Then, while they're blinded, we hit them with a few of these bad boys. Lyle holds up a box of fireworks labeled Bad Boy Rockets. I used to shoot these off every fourth with my cousins. They'll take your hand clean off if you're not careful. The perfect weapon, considering. Considering? Considering that's all we got, Ollie. That doesn't sound like much of a plan. Oh, and I suppose you have a better one. I'd like to hear it, because so far I've been doing all the thinking. Well, Ollie started, scratching his chin. I think we could try to pass. Try to pass? Yeah, there's uniforms in the back. Maybe use air fresheners or even some gasoline on us to cover up the smell. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. What do you mean? I think it could work. We wouldn't have to get near anybody. Oh, they would know. How? We can talk fine. And we're not too bad looking. We're not missing anything. Nothing but a few fingers, toes, and teeth. Hmm. Lyle was giving more thought to the idea than he anticipated. Ollie did have a point. Most of these things were pretty decrepit, missing entire limbs. They were lucky. They'd only been on the ground a few weeks. They were hardly zombies, really. Okay, I'll bite. Say we do get through town, then what? Then, we find a car and go somewhere isolated, away from all the maniacs with guns. Ollie, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think you're right. Ollie and Lyle don the uniforms and open the door. Outside is chaos. There's fire, gunshots, and hundreds of dead on the streets. Just act casual, Lyle says. A zombie with no jaw approaches them and moans. Hello, sir. Ollie, don't talk to the zombies. Sorry. Suddenly, the zombie's head explodes. Holy shit! Hey, you! A voice yells. It's a woman with a shotgun. Oh, hello! Lyle waves. Do you two need guns? Ollie and Lyle exchange looks. They nod. Yes, please, Ollie says. The woman tosses a shotgun to Ollie, then to Lyle. Ollie catches his and pumps it. Lyle catches his. His arm falls off. Shit. The lakes in my hometown are bottomless. I've checked. Did you know the lakes in your hometown are bottomless? I mean, sure, there's probably a nice beachy area where people swim, and it's all pretty and safe and well-known. But I bet you there's a part beyond that, usually just out beyond where a person can touch bottom, where you can see the start of the creeping muck, the slime that accumulates in the bottom of all lakes. Did you ever think about where all that goes? 
Do you know anyone who's ever checked the center of your local little swimming hole? What happens to all the stuff that falls in every year? All the nature stuff. Leaves and pine needles and sticks. I bet you never stopped to think about it. And if you did, you might assume it biodegrades. You might think it all flushes out year after year, rolling down a river or something to empty into the sea. And some small portion of it does. But most of it stays down there. I'm a scuba instructor. I've checked. And after a few experiments that still make me shudder, I'll never dive in a lake again. The lakes in my hometown are old and deep. They were cut by glaciers. Not just the last ones, which rolled by 18,000 years ago, but by the repeated ice ages of periods so far back, we don't even have names for them. Glaciers old enough to have scoured mountains that don't exist anymore started our lakes. Started gouging furrows in the bedrock that were widened and deepened by each new march of ice. The lakes here are old and deep. The three lakes nearest where I sit and read this are nearly 300 feet down in the center, and there are some deeper than that. There's thousands of lakes in the U.S. and Canada that run deeper than a thousand feet. Your local pond might not reach down to shuddering, shrieking depths, but it doesn't have to. My experience has been that the nightmares start around 30 feet down. The one I dove in bottomed out just at 70, and even that was entirely too much for me. I'll never do that again. In the shallows, lakes are lovely. There's all the usual bustle of life. Water skimmers dart along the surface. Tadpoles and little fish play among the pebbles and fallen sticks. There might be ducks, a frog, a sunfish. Things are delightful there, where the sun shines and the birds sing. But you leave all that behind pretty quickly. By ten feet down, you're in another world. The first thing you notice when you scuba dive in a lake is the otherworldly stillness. Like you're swimming through a painting, browned with age. In the ocean, everything moves. There's waves and currents and living things everywhere. Down deeper, there's marine snow, particles falling and dancing in the water, and even at surprising depths, you'll find seaweed billowing gently, soothingly, in the slow-motion wind of a passing continental current. But in your local pond, everything is perfectly horrifically, supernaturally still. As though the world were paused. As though the universe had frozen and were building toward a jump scare. Your brain keeps telling you how wrong it is that nothing can be this quiet. That you are being too loud. That you are making too much noise while you swim. That your bubbles are screaming when you exhale that the blood rushing through your ears is an offense to the silent pace. That movement is not welcome here. 
You feel as if anything you touch might shatter somehow, or that the frozen moment through which you swim might suddenly freeze again, with you trapped inside it, unable to blink, unable to look over your shoulder, unable to figure out why you have the creepy feeling of not being alone, even though nothing ever moves. Except that it does. Explosively. Horrifically. The way things move unseen and flashing at the edges of your dreams. There are fish here. And maybe a few hideous snake-like eels that all lie in ambush for their prey. Unmoving. And still as death. Until they explode into motion at your approach. You never actually see them. You're swimming along, trespassing this unutterable world, and there's a perfectly silent flash of darkness a foot away. A tiny plume of smoky debris marks the event, the rest of the world unchanged and still unmoving. You expect a thing so violent, so jarring to make a noise, but it doesn't. It doesn't make a sound, and your mind rails at the wrongness of it. Everything is silent. Why is it so silent? Have you been stricken deaf? Not even the sound of your bubbles. Why can't you hear your bubbles? You have stopped breathing. You take a shuddering breath. You didn't realize you had been holding it. Holding a breath can kill a scuba diver. It's the first thing they tell you. The first rule of scuba. Never hold your breath. You know that. You never do that. And yet, you just did. What was that anyways? A fish, probably? But you never did actually see it. How big was it? Where did it go? Will it come back? Does it bite? You also can't see around you. It's hard to explain. It's not really like walking through a fog. The edges of your vision are cloudy, almost like having tunnel vision. And even when you look straight ahead, the world fades to a gloomy brown-black a few feet in any direction. Almost like you're standing under an old, yellowing streetlight, looking out into the night. There is no color. In the shallows, there were tans and greens. Maybe a lily pad with a splash of pink flower on top. But not here. As soon as you left the swim beach behind, so too you departed the world of color. Everything is either black or shades of muddy earthen brown. And with every foot you go down, more of those browns surrender to shades of gray and darker black. Did you know they train scuba divers not to panic? There's the second rule of scuba. Don't panic. And so you try to focus on what you're doing. You set a little mission for yourself. You have a dive plan. You have something to accomplish. A depth to reach. 
were a distance to swim, or a thing to find. But in the oppressive, terrifying stillness of a lake, your mind starts to wander. Why is it so damned quiet? You keep swimming through the sepia-toned twilight, passing into water more closely the color of strong, dark tea. There's a creepy forest here, a tangled nest of otherworldly vegetation that looks more like hairy worms, thin and long, with puffy coats of what looks to be dandelion fluff, only matted with the pond scum of the previous decade. It looks like it wants to writhe, like it has been moving when the moment froze, and burns with the need to move again. You cannot see the bottom anymore. It hazes out of your vision, even though it's only three feet away. You keep swimming, wraith-like, gliding over the reaching, wormy vines, too thin to be tentacles. Too thick to be hair. Too furred to be grass. Was that another flash of movement? Was it bigger this time? You swim on. You can't really see anymore. The alien worm grass is gone now. The bottom has dropped away. The lake bottom is a hill steep enough to be called a cliff if it were on a shore though it's not quite vertical. You can't see, but somehow you feel like it's not dark enough to turn on your light. There's simply nothing to see around you. You cannot see the surface, though there is a hazy, indistinct luminosity above you. You are distinctly uncomfortable, but you came to explore, and so you decide to go down further into the gloom trying to deny the building dread trying to master the fear of your inner child and failing you take a breath you press the button a hiss of bubbles you feel yourself sinking and you look up and watch as the gauzy distant penumbra of the surface fades away to paler darker, browner and then breathe again as the last of the light is lost to you. You close your eyes to gather yourself. You can feel yourself sliding deeper. Feel the water flowing around you, swallowing you, pulling you deeper. You feel the pressure building on your ears as you clear them again and again, deeper and deeper, trying to marshal yourself to open your eyes. But somehow you don't want to see Somehow it'll be worse to see. A shiver runs down your spine. You will look in a second. You will make yourself look and it'll be okay. But not yet. You are still sinking. This is too much. You mustn't go too deep. Divers have limits. But you know this lake bottoms out at 66 feet or so. Should be perfectly safe. You should be on bottom by now. Why are you not on bottom? You reach for the button again, somewhat more desperately than you intend, and halt your descent. 
You kick a bit. Directly below you to halt your downward progress and feel the slightest touch. The merest vibration in your fins. That must be the bottom then. You exhale, letting yourself settle a little more in the water and feel with your fins. Stretching down, you move your legs slowly, reaching with the extended extreme tiptoe of your fin and feel it brush something. Feather soft in the yawning nothing below. Your experience as a diver tells you now is the time to look. Before you stir up the bottom. Before you ruin the visibility with the cloud of sediment. You exhale. You open your eyes. Except that nothing happens. Your eyes are still closed. You think? Or wait, you blink. Can't blink with closed eyes. They must be open. But you can't tell. There's just nothing. No light. No reflection. Nothing. Nothing is this dark. Your eyes must be closed. You blink again. Can't you feel if your own eyes are open? What does it feel like when your eyes are open on the surface? You float, limply, trying to figure out if your eyes are open or not. You focus on the sound of your bubbles. It's the only sound, other than your heart, beating faster than it should. You grope around your body for your flashlight, tethered to a thigh pocket. You turn it on nothing happens scuba divers do not panic you turn the switch again nothing happens again your eyes must be open now right must be you gulp swallowing the lump in your throat as dry as sandpaper scuba air is always too damned dry you exhale the bubbles wail you reach for the backup light on your other thigh the switch clicks nothing happens you exhale slowly into gathering chill in your spine this is not hell you are not already in the belly of a monster a scuba diver does not panic Two lights can't break at the same time, right? You try to check your gauges. They are supposed to glow, but they are invisible. You blink more to assure yourself your eyes are open. You bring the light up in front of your face. Click, click, click. No change. The darkness is becoming a living thing. It is the darkness of a cave. It is the darkness of the grave. Click. It is the darkness of death itself, and a scuba diver does not panic. Click, click, click. You hear the bubbles, but you cannot see them. How much air do you have left? How will you know if you cannot see your gauges? Cannot see a watch? You should abandon this dive. This is not a place for humans. 
But you are here. And you must explore. It is why you came. It is why you do what you do. A diver does not panic. You feel your eyes fall closed. You breathe. A diver does not panic. You cannot have killed two lights. You press the flashlight bezel to your mask, glass to glass. You try the switch again and your skull explodes with the brightest light you've ever seen. You yank the light away and are immediately cast in darkness again. With the afterglow of retinal burns flashing before you like throbbing auroras. You hold the light away and try again. You see nothing. You aim the light towards your face again and see nothing. You bring the light slowly closer. A fully bent elbow and you see nothing. You bring it closer as though it were a microphone you were about to sing and see nothing. It's eight inches from your mask and invisible. Seven. Six. Five. And it's as dark as the void between the stars. Four. Three. Two. Inches and you see the barest, faintest, gloaming of light. But even that is black somehow. And suddenly you understand. It's not just dark here. It's not that you are so far from the sun. It's that you are swimming in ink. The water itself here is as black as a coffin nail. A scuba diver does not panic. You hold the light against your gauges to recharge the glowing needles. And then press the gauges to your mask. You have plenty of air. You have plenty of time. You are at 63 feet. The bottom should be at 66 or 68 according to the chart. You have come this far. You feel a strange compulsion to know what the bottom is. That is why you came, right? To see the lake floor? To tell your students about it? If you can't see it, perhaps you'll touch it instead. You lie horizontal in the water as you normally do while diving. You reach for your button again, which hangs from a hose on your left shoulder. Another squall of bubbles, and you descend slowly. Slowly. You can't feel the fall this time. You don't want to crash into anything. You don't want to faceplant. You put a hand down below you, groping a gloved hand for the bottom. You exhale sinking ever so slightly from the loss of air and continue to settle. You feel a susurrus on your glove. A whisper of a touch as something floated by. A plant? A leaf? A feather? It's gone now. Did it move? You shiver at the thought. A scuba diver does not panic. You realize your eyes are closed again, without your knowing. You reach, focusing on your hand. You feel more now. Fingertips brushing. Something. Another touch on your wrist. More worm plants? Are you reaching down through vegetation? 
it's getting more crowded. Is that the word? Around your fingers. The touches come more often. You begin to feel them on your forearm, but still no bottom. Maybe this is a bad idea. What the fuck are you touching? What if something bites you? What if there's fish hooks and you get tangled in a long lost fishing line and trapped here to drown? A diver does not panic. But divers also don't do stupid shit like this. What the fuck am I touching? Feels like you are reaching through leaves. They're getting slightly more dense, but they're all still floating. No bottom. You're in up to your elbow now and you feel a touch on your face. That happens a lot when you're stirring shit up on the bottom. Just a leaf or something. Or maybe it was a leech. You feel a twig in your hand and grasp it between your thumb and forefinger. It snaps. Is that a bone? You continue settling into the weirdness. You feel contact on your knee, though your wetsuit. It yields. You feel it on your bicep as you reach down, and a few more on your hip, laying on your right side. There is no fucking bottom. Realizing this, you begin to grasp the nightmare horror. The lake is bottomless. The lake is slime. The lake is swallowing your entire body and you are halfway down. No, no, you must not sink any further. You arch your back and kick, feeling your fins meet the jello of the slime knee deep. You flail for your button. You try to retch your arm out sideways and feel the mass of God knows what resisting. The makings of a scream are tightening in your chest when you hear an explosive whoosh from behind you. You kick, fanning into the blind madness, trying to go anywhere but into that fucking godless muck. The air puffs into your buoyancy device and you shudder, your whole body trembling, shaking, out of breath. Not too fast, you must not go too fast. This is the most dangerous part. A scuba diver must not panic. You are up. You are away. You let air out of your BCD and prevent any runaway ascent. To rise too fast is death. To sink below is death too. In that fucking nightmare goo. You kick upwards. Slowly. Your eyes are closed. Your breaths are ragged. You must kick. To rise too fast is popped lungs. You kick more. Pressing the button again to bleed off extra air and slow yourself down. To rise too fast is embolisms and gas bubbles in the blood. You kick. There is a world above of light and life and sound. Ye gods, there will be sound again. You kick. Though to rise too fast will be a twisting crooked agony of racked joints and skin that crackles full of gas bubbles. You rise in the water column, feeling the pressure come off your ears, blowing bubbles to empty your lungs. Your breath shudders out of you, 
You will not die in the howling dark, doomed to silence. You take another breath and open your eyes. There is light. Still a long way off, but it is light and you tremble at the sight of it. You must do a safety stop. You must not rise too fast. Then you must get out of this fucking lake and never return. This is not a place for men. You reach the surface and swim back to where the tourists play, splashing in the shallows. You feel the dread ebb slowly from your blood, which warms at the sight of colors and the joy of sound returning. You stare over the dark water while you lie on your back and kick towards shore. It's been 18,000 years since the last glacier scraped the bottom here. 18,000 springs have filled the lake with pollen and insects. And 18,000 autumns have dropped leaves and sticks and acorns and pine cones into that same lake. 18,000 years of fish bones and turtle shells and rot and death and God knows what else has fallen slowly towards the center. And most of it is still there. It's piled down there. Who knows how deep. Waiting to swallow a diver. Waiting to entangle a swimmer. It swallows light. And the tannins leach slowly from 18,000 years of leaves. And they swallow sanity. And calm and reason. Don't ever go there. My local lakes are fucking bottomless. I bet yours are too.